Good afternoon, everyone. It is Tuesday, November the 26th, 2019. It is currently 3.55 p.m. Central Time. Well, let's begin this episode by considering a question. Now, I'm going to ask this question a number of times. I may ask it in a number of different ways, but this question is going to kind of serve as the foundation for everything I hope to accomplish in this episode. So please pay close attention. If you can, write the question down. If you cannot, that's okay. I'm going to ask it a number of times, so I'm sure you're going to get it. So just listen carefully to this question. All right, sounds like a plan. You, you ready? Okay, here we go. I can't, I can't see your response, so I'm assuming everyone is saying yes and everyone is shaking their head, showing that yes, I'm ready, giving me the aff affirmative go ahead. All right, here we go. Here is the question, listen carefully. Why would the Southern Baptist Convention pass a resolution that promotes critical race theory and intersectionality? Why would the Southern Baptist Convention pass a resolution that promotes critical race theory and intersectionality? And in this resolution that they pass, they, they say that critical race theory and intersectionality, well, they serve as analytical tools that can aid Christians. Now, this resolution is SBC Resolution 9, Statement on Critical Race Theory and Intersectionality. Now, from my perspective, I'm not a Southern Baptist. I'm not a part of the Southern Baptist denomination. My church is an independent Baptist church. We're not part of a denomination or anything like that. Now, so when, so from my perspective on the outside, the whole thing seems odd. The whole thing, whole thing seems weird. It seems questionable. It seems like, what, what, what's the point of this? What are you trying to accomplish? Now, I know some of you may be going, wait a minute, wait a minute. First of all, before I can even understand this, what is critical race theory and what is intersectionality? Well, that's a good question because I think most people probably don't have a clue what these are and probably are trying to even figure out why they're passing a resolution on this. Now, if you were to look up critical race theory and intersectionality, probably one of the first sites you're going to see, let's be honest, is Wikipedia. So a lot of people, that's where they're going to turn to. Now, I'm not saying that they're the best source of information, but it's where a lot of people start. Now, to start there is okay. You obviously have to go beyond there, check sources. Okay, we get the idea. It's an open source. People can edit it. You know, there's no uh, you know, way to know for sure how accurate it is. If they give you a source, go check the source and read it for yourself. So I guess what we really need to do, that's the question. Why would the Southern Baptist Convention pass a resolution that promotes critical race theory and intersectionality and they and it serve and they are to serve as analytical tools that can aid Christians. Now, I was about to share my perspective of, of being someone outside of the Southern Baptists, but I think what I really need to do to begin this is we need to ask ourselves what is critical race theory and intersectionality. Now, I am not going to make this the goal. The goal of this episode is not to give a comprehensive understanding of what those things are, but I'll give you just a I'm just gonna look, I'm just gonna give you the Wikipedia short answer, and it may be something that we can turn our attention back to. I think no matter what these things are, uh, and whenever you kind of get a, a, your mind of what you think these things are, whether you think they're good or whether you think they're bad, it really comes down to why is the Southern Baptist 
convention passing this resolution? Like, wh what are they hoping to accomplish? But let's go through this, all right? Intersectionality. Intersectionality is also called intersectional feminism. All right, and I'll stop right there. Okay, that seems odd that the Southern Baptist Convention would be passing a resolution dealing with intersectionality, that it's a tool to aid Christians, when it's also called intersectional feminism. Now, intersectionality is a branch of feminism, asserting that all aspects of social and political identities, gender, race, class, sexuality, disability, etc., um, uh, and now, and that's what they've got in parentheses. So let me go back and read this without the parentheses. Intersectionality, also called intersectional feminism, is a branch of feminism asserting that all aspects of social and political identities, uh, discrimination, overlap, or intersect. For example, race with gender, in the case of a black woman, intersectionality aims to separate itself from white feminism by acknowledging the fact that all women have different experiences and identities. All right, so let me read this again. Intersectionality is a branch of feminism asserting that all aspects of social and political identities, right, and then they have discrimination, overlap. So there's an overlap, there's an intersectionality where they intersect and they meet and they overlap, uh, but there is a, a, a need to, to keep them separate because people have different experiences and identities. All right, great. Now, I know what you're thinking. What does that have to do with the Southern Baptist Convention? What does that have to do with the Southern Baptist Church? Why are you saying, hey, guys, this is an analytical tool that could help you? Is it Does the Southern Baptist Convention on a regular basis pass resolutions saying, here are some analytical tools to help you? It just seems very odd to me. That, that's my first thought here. But let's continue. What's critical race theory? Critical race theory is a theoretical framework in the social sciences that uses critical theory to examine society and culture as they relate to uh, categorizations of race, law, and power. It began as a theoretical movement within American law schools in the mid to late 1980s as a reworking of critical legal studies. Okay, um, that, this, this whole thing, I, I guess it began as a, a reworking of critical legal studies on race issues. And it's loosely unified by two common themes. First, critical race theory proposes that white supremacy and racial power are maintained over time, and in particular, that the law may play a role in the process. Second, critical race theory work has investigated the possibility of transforming the relationship between law and racial power and more broadly pursues it pursues a project of achieving racial emancipation and anti-subordination all right I mean, the, just those two i mean that's you would take it would take a couple of hours just to unpack all of them it would take a, a couple of hours to kind of go wait what 
What are these things? And, and I'm purposely not sitting there trying to explain them and try to spend a lot of time on this because it would take up the whole episode. But what I want you to see is that just seems, an uh, it doesn't seem like an odd resol resolution. Hey, let's pass this resolution about critical race theory and intersectionality, that these could be a tool to, you know, uh, analytical tool to help Christians. Okay, I don't think the average Christian I don't think they even the average Christian even knows what these things are. So, are you suggesting that the Southern Bab that Southern Baptist churches should teach critical race theory and intersectionality to the members of their church in order to help them? Is that what you're suggesting? That the average church member, what the average church member really needs, is a course on critical race theory and intersectionality because it will assist them. It will help them. This seems like a strange resolution when considering the state of Christianity in 2019. We've got biblical illiteracy, doctrinal confusion, theo theological anarchy, and we, we're gonna we're gonna pass a resolution saying, "Hey, here's some analytical tools to help Christians." Really? That just seems odd. You think maybe they would pass a resolution uh, identifying a clear hermeneutical system that everyone in the SBC must abide by, and that well, wait, they can't actually do that, can they? Now, now let me let me back up, or not really back up. Let me advance this by looking at my perspective from outside the Southern Baptist Convention. This whole thing seems odd, because my understanding of the Southern Baptist Convention is each Baptist church is autonomous. So they can pass all the resolutions they want. They're not binding on the local Southern Baptist congregation. So why even go through the process? What is even the point, right? Hey, if you're a Southern Baptist church, you don't even have to listen to these resolutions. They're not binding. So why sit there and go through the process of a vote, go through this whole thing? Well, what are you all ultimately trying to accomplish? Personally, when you talk critical race theory, intersectionality, this tends to be things that would be spoken of more in the liberal world. Is this a way to try to, to try to say, hey, liberal world, we're, you know, we're aware of these things as well, and we're going to use them too. Is, is that what it is? Is it an attempt to try to make the world like us? Like, I don't really know what is going on there. It just seems bizarre to me. The whole thing just seems weird. It's not binding. And I, I, of all the resolutions that could be passed, now they now to be fair, um, and if you ask when did this occur, this happened this summer, 2019, at the Southern Baptist Convention meeting. They did pass some resolutions that dealt with uh, sexual abuse in the church and some other issues that were good, right? I, I didn't read all of them. I mean, but it just seems like, I just don't know why they even go through the process. Hey, hey, here's a resolution. Okay, great. The, the average, you know, Southern Baptist church, do they even care? Are they even going to, to, to put this into uh, practice? Um, I live here in Abilene, Texas. There's Southern Baptist churches all over the place. If I went to the average Southern Baptist church and, and walked in and say, hey, your, your denomination passed a resolution on critical race theory and intersectionality, can you tell me what these things are and why it matters? And I bet you, I bet you some of them don't even care, don't even know never even comes up. So so right there, it just seems like, is this, a, is this something that they're trying to do to get attention? What, what is even going on? But here is the question. Do Christians need critical race theory and intersectionality? Are these tools that would actually help us? Now, the reason I bring all of this up is this morning, 
I came across a video. Here's the description of the video. False teaching is infiltrating the Southern Baptist Convention in the form of critical race theory, an offshoot of cultural Marxism. At the center of this compromise stands Dr. Albert Moeller, president of the Southern Baptist Theological S Seminary. This video describes the depth of the error, or of this error. Now, here's what we're going to do. i am got the audio from the video. Now, it was made for video, so there'll be times they're showing something on the screen and there's no explanation. So, I apologize for that, but I, I thought I would like to bring this to everyone's attention. So, here's what I want to do. I want to offer... I want to offer a, a couple of warnings here, all right? This is a video where a lot of claims are being made. You need to think about these claims carefully. You need to investigate for yourself. You need to use discernment. But this, I saw this going around today, so I wanted at least just, hey, here it is, so you can hear it for yourself, but do you need to think for yourself? Now, I am already, I, I'm already confused by why they would even pass the resolution. To me, it looks like they're trying to, to make themselves look good. I, I, I'm already worried, but is this, an, is this a way to try to get, I don't know, a... A, you're, you're, we're going to borrow from philosophical systems outside of Christianity to bring into Christianity to help us see things differently. I mean, I mean, we have enough problems within Christianity of, of, of Christians not having a Christian worldview, a biblical worldview, and now we're going to bring in other ideas. I, I just don't really quite know what to make of this. And again, this is not binding. So in the video, if it makes it sound like, hey, you know, a Southern Baptist church, you're bound to this. Now, as a result of this, some some Southern Baptist churches are leaving the convention, are leaving the denomination. Now, they're not bound by it, but I think they're saying, wait, the, the, the denomination, the convention is, where is it headed? So I think in some ways they've created a bigger problem than than was needed. I mean, Look, if you're if you're a Southern Baptist and you believe in critical race theory and intersectionality and you want to use it as an analytical tool, you're not really bound by anything. I mean, you can go to a Southern Baptist church, find one that's reformed in their theology and Calvinistic. You can go to a Southern Baptist church that is so Arminian, pretty much semi-Pelagian, if not full-fledged full Pelagian. You can walk into some Southern Baptist churches that are full-blown charismatic. All right, so, you know, if I would say, hey, let's pass a resolution that Southern Baptist Church has to follow a certain doctrinal standard and there can be no compromise there. Maybe that would be the resolution, but the churches are autonomous. I mean, I've never quite understood the whole Southern Baptist denomination structure. It makes no sense to me. Um, it, it just seems weird. And I, 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 I first became a Christian in a Southern Baptist church, and I went to, the, to Southern Baptist conventions, and I, and I went to some of their, their big, you know, I don't know what you'd call them, conferences, convention meetings, and it was interesting to see. But at the same time, I was always like, well, wait a minute, if it's not binding, if, if, well, what, what's the point here? Why, why even go through this whole process? It's just, it's just, and then everyone's playing politics and, you know, which church is bigger and, you know, what position can they get? It's just the whole thing just seems so odd to me. And, of course, I'm standing on the outside from an independent church structure. And I know in an independent church structure, people who belong to denominations, they look at us as like we're crazy. So I think everyone has different perspectives. But I think we can all stop and go, wait a minute. With all the problems within Christianity... Critical race theory and intersectionality, 
Is that what we really need? So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna stop talking. I'm gonna play this, the audio of this video. It's about an hour long. I want you to listen carefully. I want you to question everything. Um, I want you to take this as a possible warning, not of just what's happening in the Southern Baptist Convention, but what could be happening within Christianity at large, all right? I think we sometimes as Christians reach a point where, you know, um, yeah, we got the Bible, but, you know, there's, there's all these problems in culture, and we start adopting all kinds of other ideas in order to address culture and try to fix the problems in culture. Yesterday, I did a program dealing with the political hijacking of Christianity, and why a lot of a lot of people outside of the church no longer have a positive view of Christianity, and one of the reasons is is the is how political it's become. Well, I think the more we turn away, look, the more we return away from what Christianity is supposed to be about—the scriptures, God, theology—you know the, what what it's really supposed to be about. All we do is just look like a you know, a group of people that are thinking like the world, trying to act like the world, and trying to get the uh, the approval of the world, and we really stop being anything unique or different. We, we, we're always going to have a unique and different perspective to the world. That's how it's supposed to be. They walk in, and we open a book, and we say, this book is the inspired Word of God. We're going to preach this book. We're, we are going to believe this book, and we're going to seek to obey and live our life according to this book. That's a radical approach. But I think some are looking for something else, maybe. I don't, I don't know how to interpret all of this right now. And I, I've seen all kinds of opinions. I, I don't want to make this bigger than it is. I, I don't want to make it less than it is. I think it may be a sign of what's happening in Christianity at large. And the Southern Baptist Convention is just serving as an example. All right? So here we go. Let's listen to this video. They're going to examine what's happening in the Southern Baptist Convention. They're going to examine critical race theory, intersectionality, and um, is this, is this, now they may try to make it sound like that, you know, this is the worst thing in the world and that uh, a total apostasy has occurred. You got to, you got to try to maintain some balance here, but think it through and you can ask yourself what is happening in your church? What is happening in Christianity at large? That's kind of been a theme um, over the last few months um, on my podcast is what is happening within Christianity? And man, sometimes you start listening to sermons there's a lot of problems, you know, and I can tell you this, what we need is definitely not critical race theory and intersectionality. We need some other things. I can definitely tell you that. All right, listen carefully. Email me at newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. I will forego the promoting of our app on Spreaker. I'm just going to forego that. Just listen to this. Email me. I want your thoughts. I want you to tell me what you think. So here we go. Critical race theory, intersectionality, false teaching, Southern Baptist Convention, Christianity in 2019. There's a lot of themes here. Just sit back and listen carefully. Here is the audio from the video. The Southern Baptist Convention was founded in 1845. Its founding charter identifies its singular focus as the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The convention has grown to be a network of more than 50,000 cooperating churches with almost 15 million members and a weekly attendance of over 5 million. But many churches are leaving the denomination over the rampant liberalism that is infiltrating the convention, long regarded as the bastion of sound biblical theology 
and many are falling prey to the deceptive ideology of the social justice movement. The Resolutions Committee of the Southern Baptist Convention, under the chairmanship of Professor Curtis Woods, met in Alabama in June 2019 and called for the adoption of Resolution 9. I move that the convention adopt Resolution Number 9 on critical race theory and intersectionality. To speak against? Yes. Uh, Tom Buck, First Baptist Church, Lindell, Texas. Secondly, in the seventh, uh, seventh whereas, it states that critical race theory and intersectionality alone are insufficient to diagnose and redress the root causes of social ills they identify. They're not merely insufficient, they're incapable of diagnosing man's problem and incompatible with the biblical gospel. Critical race theory is based upon Marxism, a godless intellectual foundation, and both include a praxis contradictory to the gospel of Jesus Christ. These views do not complement the gospel, they completely contradict it. Therefore, when it came to worldly philosophy and human tradition, Paul did not tell the Colossians to adopt or adapt, but to abandon. It is our aspiration in this resolution simply to say that critical race theory and intersectionality are simply analytical tools. Not They're true. meant to be used as tools, not as a worldview. No, it's not true. It's not. And can be utilized simply as an analytical tool, not a transcendent worldview above the authority of Scripture. And we stand by the strength of this resolution. Now, the question is on the adoption of Resolution 9 as is. If you are in favor of the adoption of Resolution 9, please signify so by an uplifted ballot. Those opposed by the same sign, the resolution is adopted. The adoption of Resolution 9 has caused outrage in several Southern Baptist churches. Pastor Jeff Noblet explains why Grace Life Church for the Shoals is withdrawing from the convention. At the last Southern Baptist Convention, the messengers from the churches voted to include critical race theory and intersectionality as tools to help us interpret the Bible. Now, if you don't know what critical race theory and intersectionality mean. Among other things, it is the notion that if you're born white, you're already a racist. It doesn't matter what you feel or how you act. You're just a racist. All of the radical, liberal, progressive thought is in those terms. In order to appease the culture and get along, they actually voted to say we will include these unbiblical, God-hating, God-rejecting people and their theories to help us interpret the Bible. Not going to happen. I don't need radical, liberal, atheist, and godless people to help me understand the Scriptures. And the churches don't have the moral, spiritual fiber, our fabric, our, our, our courage and fortitude to do anything about it. This video sets out to examine the depth of the growing compromise 
within the Southern Baptist Convention and to show that this compromise has been led by the President of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, Dr. Albert Moeller. Our starting point must be to understand dangerous ideologies like cultural Marxism, critical race theory and intersectionality that are gaining inroads into the thinking of some Christian leaders, theological seminaries and parachurch organizations, such as the Gospel Coalition, Together for the Gospel and the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. Dr. Moeller explains the origins and meaning of critical theory. Uh, critical theory, the Frankfurt School, uh, coming out of the, the left wing of Marxism in Europe, uh, was basically, and this is what's key, was a repudiation of, uh, of consensual politics. So this critical theory and, and all that came out of this form of Marxism emerged from the idea that democratic politics won't work. It's not going to get to revolution. It's, it's, not, it's not going to get to justice. Therefore, there has to be a, a confrontation all the way down to the foundation. And, and that's the critical. Critical means taking it apart. And, uh, and so th they wanted to blow up the world, basically, ideologically. Every, basically, it was a matter of identifying all the structures of authority and of order in society as repressive. However, in this video, we see clear evidence that Mola, despite his profound knowledge of critical theory of cultural Marxism, has actually embraced critical race theory, an offshoot of critical theory. In the briefing, Moeller emphasizes the importance of understanding cultural Marxism. Here is a brief explanation of the ideology of cultural Marxism. Let us begin with a very terse description. Cultural Marxism is a broad term which refers to the advocacy and application of critical theory and more generally to the cultural political and academic influence of certain elements within the contemporary left. The roots of cultural Marxism are to be found in what is commonly known as the Frankfurt School. The term arose informally to describe the thinkers affiliated or merely associated with the Frankfurt Institute for Social Research at the Goethe University in Frankfurt, Germany during the interwar period. Critical of both capitalism and Soviet socialism, they sought to address the perceived shortcomings of classical Marxism in the pursuit of societal change. Their work came to be referred to as critical theory. Defining or categorizing critical theory is exceptionally difficult, for it pertains to a broad, almost disparate set of ideas, individuals and approaches. The underlying and enduring aspect of critical theory common to all its offshoots, nonetheless, is the creation of interdisciplinary theories that might serve as instruments of social transformation. During the 1960s, the Frankfurt School critical theory gained traction with some segments of the left-wing and leftist thought in both Europe and North America. Today, its influence is felt throughout Western academia, dominating the social sciences and humanities. Gender studies and whiteness studies being two such examples. 
social justice, feminism, neo-progressivism, and post-colonialism, to name but a few, are all movements inspired by or born out of critical theory, and thus all come under the umbrella of cultural Marxism. Be it gender, sexual orientation, family, race, culture, or religion, every aspect of a person's identity is to be questioned, every norm or standard in society challenged, and ideally altered in order to benefit supposedly oppressed groups. Classical Marxism saw class conflict as occurring between the bourgeoisie and the proletariat, between the haves and the have-nots. Cultural Marxism views such a conflict as existing between the oppressed and the oppressors, between those with privilege and those without it. The working class has been replaced by minorities. Majority groups are typically defined as privileged and oppressive, with minority groups accordingly labelled underprivileged and oppressed. Heterosexuals are oppressive. Cisgender people are oppressive. Whites are oppressive, especially white men. Christians are oppressive. Those that do not fit into these groups are thus considered oppressed. If whites are oppressors, the solution is racial diversity. If cisgender people are oppressors, the solution is to encourage transgenderism. Theodore Adorno, another original member of the Frankfurt School, wrote a book entitled The Authoritarian Personality, in which he defines parenthood, pride in one's family, Christianity, adherence to traditional gender roles and attitudes towards sex, and the love of one's own country as pathological phenomena. This tendency to pathologize opinions and life patterns, which are not in accordance with its own political ends, is characteristic of cultural Marxism. Differing views are thus described as irrational fears or phobias. Racism and sexism have been redefined as a product of prejudice plus power, which leads to such ridiculous statements as there's no such thing as sexism against men and I, an ethnic minority woman, cannot be racist or sexist towards white men. No deviation from the aforementioned narrative will be entertained, ever, nor will criticism. All that cultural Marxism offers is a desolate form of eternal warfare between ever more narrowly defined groups of offended minorities. The only meaningful consequence that its wide application could possibly ever have is the marginalization of traditional European culture. Cultural Marxism is a worldview that emerged from the Frankfurt School of Neo-Marxism. Major aim of this worldview is to translate Marxist ideas into cultural terms in order to attack and destroy traditional Western culture. It became the birthplace of critical theory, which means that every aspect of Western Christian culture is subject to incessant hostile criticism. The West has been labelled as the hotbed of all things evil, racism, sexism, imperialism, colonialism, homophobia, and so on. Critical race theory has emerged from the Marxist idea of critical theory. According to the University of California's School of Public Affairs, 
critical race theory recognizes that racism is ingrained in the fabric of American society. Institutional racism is pervasive in the dominant, that is, white, culture. Critical race theory identifies that the power structures in American society, which oppress and marginalize people of color, are based on white privilege and white supremacy. Key points of critical race theory. 1. Institutional racism is pervasive in white culture. 2. People of color are oppressed by white privilege and white supremacy. The term intersectionality was coined in 1989 by Professor of Law Kimberley Crenshaw. She described how race, class, gender and other individual characteristics intersect and overlap to create multiple levels of social injustice. The, the, the basic term came out of a case where I was looking at black women who were being discriminated against not just as black people, not just as women, but as black women. So intersectionality was basically a metaphor to say, well, they've got race discrimination that they're facing coming from one direction. They've got gender discrimination coming from another direction. So intersectionality is basically meant to help people think about the fact that discrimination can happen on the, on the basis of several different factors at the same time. Without frames that allow us to see how social problems impact all the members of a targeted group, many will fall through the cracks of our movements, left to suffer in virtual isolation. Many years ago, I began to use the term intersectionality to deal with the fact that many of our social justice problems like racism and sexism are often overlapping creating multiple levels of social injustice. Albert Moeller preached a sermon from Genesis 11 on the demonic sin of racism, which he said is the antithesis of the gospel and a sin which leaves a horrifying stain. A demonic story of racism that suggests that amongst human beings there are permanent differences that are to be somehow arranged across a spectrum between superiority and inferiority. It appears that this is one of the primal human sins and one of the most difficult to eradicate. It is nonetheless one of the easiest in terms of a biblical review to understand as the antithesis of the gospel of Jesus Christ and an antithesis of the doctrine of creation, an antithesis of everything that Christians should know and should believe and should teach and should live but it's one that leaves a horrifying stain. Albert Moeller, who has coined the term the stain of racism, believes that racism and claims of white supremacy continue to be a big problem in the Southern Baptist Convention. I can't associate with any assertion that we do not have a massive problem in the society and in the church with claims of racial superiority and with historic patterns of claims of white racial superiority and with the fact that remnants and ongoing manifestations of those claims of white racial superiority continue. 
his assertion that white racial superiority continues to be a massive problem in both society and the church is entirely consistent with critical race theory, a worldview that is antithetical to the gospel of Christ. Three professors of theology at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, Jarvis Williams, Matthew Hall, Curtis Woods, all three have been appointed by Dr. Moeller and are passionately committed to the ideology of critical race theory. And as we shall see in this video, all three, together with Dr. Moeller, have contributed to the book Removing the Stain of Racism from the Southern Baptist Convention. Dr. Jarvis Williams has served as an Associate Professor of New Testament Interpretation at Southern Seminary since 2013. I came to Southern in 1999 to, uh, to go to Boyce College, so I graduated from Boyce in 2000 and then transferred over into the seminary in 2000 and, and stayed here from 2000 to 2007 at the seminary pursuing uh, theological education for ministry. I think race and racial reconciliation are so theological issues. So in my view, racial reconciliation is important for New Testament studies because racial reconciliation is a soteriological reality for which Jesus died to accomplish. So I think every Christian should own the idea of racial reconciliation because that's the very reason for which Jesus died. What is whiteness? Well, here's something that's very important to realize. Whiteness is not about your biology. It's about an ideology. It's a biological fiction but a social fact. So one aspect of whiteness was a way for Europeans who were different to homogenize themselves into a group known as white to distinguish themselves from these enslaved Africans. One reason we get slavery is because of the construct of whiteness. One reason. Race and the construct of whiteness, these categories, are bad. So when you think about issues of the Confederacy and the flag, that represents white power, white privilege. One privilege of whiteness was you went to the best schools. So what the flag represents to, to many of us, it represents white terrorism against non-white people. And so, uh, Dr. Williams, thank you for coming to Oklahoma Baptist University. We're excited about the message from Scripture you're going to give us today, uh, the discussion you're going to have with Dr. Jones on Wednesday. Say Another way we show love, or you show love in this particular community, is that you must be willing. Now hear this. Hear it, all right? Institutionally, as students, you must be willing, you must be willing as believers to dethrone white supremacy in every way in which it works and even socially sophisticated ways. Dethrone it. Disown it. White supremacy is not just Charlottesville, folks. White supremacy is 
also believing the lie that only black and brown people or that black and brown people are only slaves in your history. It's not the whole story, right? But, but the stain we're going after is white supremacy. Our denomination, as you know, 1845, was founded in part because of slavery, white supremacy. But white supremacy is fundamentally an ideological construct. Everybody still with me? Are you with me? So when we think about the concept of whiteness, understand this. Whiteness and race, these are not biological facts. They're social constructs. But yeah, we need a word of explanation. According to Encyclopedia Britannica, critical race theory is the view that race, instead of being biologically grounded and natural, is socially constructed, and that race, as a socially constructed concept, functions as a means to maintain the interests of the white population that constructed it, such as white supremacy. Clearly, the strongly held views of Jarvis Williams on the issue of race are entirely consistent with critical race theory and incompatible with the Christian faith. So when we talk about them removing the stain of racism from the SBC, yeah. what we believe in part is, is that there is racism by intent when someone intentionally commits a transgression the transgression of racism against someone because of his or her race, but there's also racism by consequence. And those consequences are the result of a racial hierarchy that has created space to prioritize whiteness. If you, for example, can go through Baptist history and never hear about Dr. King but only hear about white heroes of the Baptist faith. Yeah. You never hear about black folk or brown folk or immigrant folk in church history, but you only hear about white or Europeans. Those are consequences of white supremacy, you see. That's right. Even if you have no personal animosity toward black or brown people. So when we talk about removing the stand of racism from the SBC, we're going after both overt racism, That's right. but also systemic racism, the stains of it. And if you're not serious as a white institution about going after white supremacy and calling it out whenever it raises its ugly head intentionally or unintentionally, don't you dare talk about racial reconciliation. That's right. Don't you dare talk about multi-ethnic church. Because you can't go there until you're willing to admit that the stain of racism namely white supremacy, still is present in our Christian spaces. Matthew Hall, a senior member of MOLIS team, has openly admitted that he is a racist who struggles with feelings of white supremacy. I am a racist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if that freaks you out, if you think the worst thing somebody can call you is a racist, then you're not thinking biblically. Because mm. guess what? Like, I, 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 I'm going to struggle with racism and white supremacy until the day I die and get my glorified body mm. in, a re, in a completely renewed and sanctified mind. Wow. Um, because I'm immersed in a culture where I, I benefit from racism all the time. You say justice, you talk about racial justice, and white folks get very nervous. People are far less ashamed 
to say whatever is running through their mind, white folks. There has been a normalization and an empowering, a legitimization, I would say, of almost uh, explicitly racist rhetoric in the church. And things that even two, three, four years ago, folks would have said, I'm thinking this, but I don't think I'm supposed to say it. Now they're like, I'm just going to say it. Everything that you assumed or thought was normal in the world, or everything that you thought was true about your tradition, your denomination, uh, your own family, uh, there's a whole, I'm going to pull the veil back and what looked like this beautiful narrative of faithfulness and orthodoxy and truth and righteousness and justice, I'm going to peel that back and I'm going to show you the rotting corpse of white supremacy that's underneath that surface. Matthew Hall accuses white folk in the church of using explicit racist rhetoric. He asserts that the appearance of faithfulness, orthodoxy, truth and justice in the Church of Christ is actually a veil of hypocrisy that hides the rotting corpse of white supremacy. I have to fight against the self-righteousness that flares up and say, okay, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, because I'm a racist too. Matthew Hall, who teaches thousands of theological students, has been so taken captive by the false philosophy of critical race theory that he has convinced himself that he is a racist and a white supremacist. Curtis Woods is the architect of the infamous Resolution 9 adopted by the Southern Baptist Convention in 2019. Woods took the lead in changing a resolution that was meant to condemn critical race theory as an ungodly ideology to a resolution that accepted critical race theory as a useful analytical tool for the church. Curtis Woods speaks about his chapter in removing the stain. You know, there are a lot of people that say, well, racism is a, is a thing of the past. I, I'm not a racist. And typically they'll think about racism on an individual level or situational level as opposed to institutional and systemic. And so within my chapter, I basically was making an appeal that Southern Baptists have been involved historically with trying to remove this thing, but we still have a ways to go. Hence the reason why I asked the question, are we there yet? The answer to that is no. Biblical theology and eschatology tells us that we will not remove this thing until Christ comes back and sets up his coming kingdom. So when we say black lives, matter. Here's what's happened for so many centuries in American history, in the American political economy, black lives didn't matter. You could kill a black man and not even worry about it. You could rape that black woman and it not be considered a crime. Race is a proscription, and I don't mean to say prescription, I mean proscription in the sense that race was developed to prohibit other perceived races for being able to achieve in society. For every one book that you read by an Anglo, I need you to read two books by a non-Anglo. If you don't expect conflict when you're entering to 
reconciliation dialogue, whatever it is, racial, familial, socioeconomic, you name it, then, then that is a naive aspiration. We now examine the SBC's attempts to remove what Albert Moeller refers to as the stain of racism. In 1995, the Southern Baptist Convention assembled on its 150th anniversary in the Georgia Dome, Atlanta, acknowledging the historic role it had played in oppressing African Americans and in perpetuating racism. The convention resolved to denounce racism in all its forms as deplorable sin, to lament historic acts of evil such as slavery, to apologize to all African Americans for condoning and perpetuating individual and systemic racism, to genuinely repent of racism, to ask for forgiveness from our African American brothers and sisters, to commit ourselves to eradicate racism in all its forms from Southern Baptist life. The resolution was approved by a show of hands in a gathering of nearly 15,000 voting clergy and laypeople. Southern Baptists stood and applauded when the resolution passed after only 12 minutes of discussion. It was truly a mass expression of regret and repentance. The Reverend Gary Frost, the denomination's second vice president and the first African American to reach that post, graciously accepted the apology. On behalf of my black brothers and sisters, we accept your apology and we extend to you our forgiveness in the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. We pray that the genuineness of your repentance will be reflected in your attitudes and in your actions. We forgive you for Christ's sake. Amen. Two decades later, in 2015, Ronnie Floyd, President of the Southern Baptist Convention, again called for Baptists to repent of all forms of racism. We repent tonight of all racism and all prejudice. And tonight, in Jesus' name, we come together as one family. And we do it because of the blood of the Lamb of God who died for the sins of the world. You're going to pray for personal and church repentance and reconciliation. You're going to repent of all racism and prejudice and determine we're going to be reconciled together in Jesus' name. Someone pray in each group right now. The Reverend Sam Murrell, an Anglican pastor, offers a serious theological critique of racial reconciliation services like the one we have just witnessed. Black pastor Sam Murrell tells the truth about racial reconciliation. A trend of guilt-based reconciliation services has spread through many churches, but one outspoken pastor has had enough. 
in his article Why I No Longer Participate in Racial Reconciliation Services, he writes, It was many years ago that I participated in my first racial reconciliation worship service. It was a well-integrated gathering of black and white folk. The service, while very moving, left me feeling very awkward as white strangers approached me to confess their racism toward me and my kind. Too often, the premise of the worship service is that whites are guilty because they are white. The white people present at such events are expected, even pressurized, to confess the sin of racism. An example of this guilt by association is that white people are held accountable for the history of slavery in the United States of America. The black person stands as representative of the innocent victim of so-called racism. The white person's pigmentation carries with it a privilege, and that is enough to require repentance. The word privilege is employed by the offended group as a weapon against the other. Once someone is labelled as privileged, he is supposed to realise his rightful place in the race conversation is as a silent observer. I believe it is time the church gave up the common use of the word race and all of its cognates. They only help to perpetuate an untruth about the nature of mankind. In the anthropology of scripture, race is an alien concept. Scripture does not speak of the races as subsets of humanity, but it does speak of tongues, tribes and nations. Racial reconciliation services are founded upon a lie from Satan. The whole motivation behind them is a false anthropology. The Church of Jesus Christ should stop attempting to address the mythical issue of so-called race, as to do so would be to spend time and energy chasing after an imaginary dragon. There simply is no such thing, and the Bible offers our proof. Biblically speaking, mankind is of one human race. We are all saved the same way. There is one human race. At the fall of man, in the Garden of Eden, all human beings became sinners against God. After the flood, to counter human arrogance, God confused human language, resulting in a dispersal of people across the face of the earth with many tribes, languages and nations. The clear teaching of Scripture is that God is without sin and without partiality. God's royal law of liberty gives this commandment. Thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. But the heart of man is deceitful and desperately wicked. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. All seek after their own interests. The sin of partiality is pervasive among all people. Racism is a socio-political construct. It is based in human wisdom, which is sensual and devilish full of envy, strife, confusion and hypocrisy. It is always directed at white people who are accused of oppressing people of colour. The term white supremacy is a product of the godless ideology 
of critical race theory. An accusation of racism is a powerful weapon that creates guilt in white people and destroys a person's reputation. Christians should reject the construct of racism. The Christian way of life is based in divine wisdom, which is peaceable, full of mercy and good fruits, and without partiality. True believers, who once were guilty of the sin of partiality, after their conversion, seek to obey God's law, for they have been washed by the blood of Christ, and are no longer slaves to the sin of partiality. The claim that racism is rife in the Church of Christ is a deceptive assault on God's people. True believers, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, are taught to love all people and are committed to the Great Commission to preach the gospel of Christ to all nations. In June 2016, at the Southern Baptist Convention in St. Louis, a resolution called on our brothers and sisters in Christ to discontinue the display of the Confederate battle flag as a sign of solidarity of the whole body of Christ, including our African-American brothers and sisters. This flag is a stumbling block to many African-American souls to our witness. And I wise to say that all the Confederate flags in the world are not worth one soul of any race. Then resolution number seven on sensitivity and unity regarding the Confederate battle flag, as amended, has been adopted. In June 2017, the Southern Baptist Convention passed a resolution condemning white supremacy and every form of racial hatred. The Southern Baptist Resolution Committee initially declined to consider the proposal submitted by a prominent black pastor in Texas, Dwight McKissick. Every year, Southern Baptists from all over the country gather together to conduct all of their business in just two days. This year, an African-American pastor put forth a resolution to condemn the alt-right movement. I'm asking that the Southern Baptist Convention would go on record to abate but it failed to secure a vote on the floor. Horrible. And that's what the alt-right has done, is, is divided this convention. The resolution was then redrafted and the vote was rescheduled for Wednesday. The new resolution was well received and many event attendees urged the convention to vote in its favor. This resolution has a number on it. It's resolution number 10. The white supremacy it opposes also has a number on it. It's 666. We must stand with our African-American brothers and sisters and their churches, and we must all issue an apology that we did not act on this yesterday. And, Mr. President, we move the adoption of Resolution Number 10 on the anti-gospel of alt-right white supremacy. If you are in favor of Resolution Number 10 as amended, would you please raise your ballot? Resolution 10 passes. Russell Moore took a strong position. He tweeted, The so-called alt-right white supremacist ideologies are anti-Christ and satanic to the core. We should say so.
Mola's phrase, a horrifying stain of racism, was the inspiration for the book, Removing the Stain of Racism from the Southern Baptist Convention. The book's preface reinforces this idea. The Southern Baptist Convention has a big, dark, historical stain on it. Racism. Contributors to the book include Albert Moeller, Curtis Woods, Assistant Professor of Applied Theology, Jarvis Williams, Associate Professor of New Testament Interpretation, and Matthew Hall, Senior Vice President for Academic Administration. In the first chapter, Moeller refers to the burden of history and makes the point that many Southern Baptist churches, churchmen and theologians gave sanction to the ideology of racial superiority. He writes, Racism is so insidious that it appears even where it is declared to have been eradicated, referring to the 1995 resolution in which the SBC publicly lamented and repented of racism and repudiated its roots in the defense of slavery. Moller writes, That was a start, a horribly delayed but important start. Today, far more is required of us. Repudiating slavery is not enough. We must repent and seek to confront and remove every stain of racism that remains. In Moller's mind, taken over by critical race theory, the repentance of 1995 was not enough. White Southern Baptists are told to remember those things which are behind. They must continue to repent of the sin of racism and white supremacy. But the Apostle Paul teaches otherwise. This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth and to those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The foreword of removing the stain is adamant. Historically, the root causes of racism in the SBC are sin and white supremacist ideology. Dr. Jarvis Williams provides a robust condemnation of white supremacy. He writes, the stain of racism exists in the SBC because of the enduring effects of white supremacist thinking. White supremacy had its racist fangs in the ideology of American culture from this country's beginning and from the founding of the SBC in 1845. Today many Southern Baptists reveal that the stain of racism remains in the SBC by their insensitive responses to incontrovertible examples of racial injustice in the U.S. Despite all the attempts by white Christians in the SBC to lament and repent, apologize and denounce racism, that is not good enough. For in the eyes of critical race theory, the stain still exists for nothing can cleanse white people of their sin of being born white. Indeed, according to critical race theory, white people, unless they become woke, that is, see things from the perspective of those who are being oppressed, they are forever guilty of racism 
and to be condemned as white supremacists. What follows is a panel discussion on the book Removing the Stain of Racism. We see clear evidence of Mola's close association with theologians from the SBC who are given over to the ideology of critical race theory. Welcome to this CP panel, named after our book called Removing the Stain of Racism from the SBC. Each of these brothers are affiliated in some way, shape, or form with Southern Seminary, with uh, Dr. Moeller as the president, Dr. Curtis Woods as the uh, recent PhD graduate, Dr. Matt Hall as the dean of Boyce College, and Dr. Kevin Jones as a professor at the Boyce College, and I as a New Testament professor at Southern Seminary. Dr. Jones, this yes, book sir. was your brainchild. Why did you want to write this book, and why now? Well, a few reasons uh, uh, provoked it. One is I have, a, I have a fabulous president who preaches expositorily, and he gets to the heart of the message in his message. So it was actually a message preached from Dr. Al Mohler in Genesis chapter 11 that provoked uh, the, the, the idea and the thought of the book. Second, each of us, each African-American minority that I, that I know had experienced racism, how, what do we do within the convention as a Bible-centered organization in order to lead the charge in removing the stain? I think it's a gospel issue, and I think institutions like Southern Baptist Theological Seminary ought to lead in the charge. So it's fair to say that that chapel sermon was one of the key reasons why you were motivated to write this book. Oh, it happened during the middle of the chapel service, yes. Correct, correct. I said, I want to write this. We, we have to do something about this. Yeah. yeah. So, so then, Dr. Moeller, a couple questions for you. Why, first of all, preach a sermon on racial justice? Why use your influence and your power as a Southern Baptist evangelical to speak into this very important issue in the book? I preached the sesquicentennial sermon of the Southern Baptist Convention in 1995. In 1995, I think what Southern Baptists wanted to say was that we were born in a racist past. We've been complicit with racism through segregation and Jim Crow all the way to the very recent present. We're drawing a line in 1995 and saying that was then, this is now. I think that was honest. I think it was wrong, but I think it was honest. I didn't feel that it was wrong in 1995. But the weight of history indicates that was wrong. What was wrong is that that was then is not over, and you can't just say we're drawing a line in 1995, as honestly as you might try to say it, and say the past is merely the past, now we're moving forward. And so it was an exercise in biblical exposition and biblical theology in an often neglected text to Scripture from Genesis 11, demonstrating that it's going to take everything we've got in the gospel and in the Scriptures uh, to escape uh, the, the trap of history, but we're not, we can't just draw a line. We're going to have to deal it. We're going to have to confront it. We're going to have to recognize the word stain is exactly the right word. It's a stain that we're going to carry as a denomination forever till Jesus comes, but it's a stain that if we deal with rightly can actually show the power of Christ. Um, and that's what I'm praying for. I'm praying with you brothers for. That's very helpful. Dr. Mueller re referenced the historical uh, complicity. Although the SBC repented of racism in 1995, according to Mueller, that was insufficient to remove the stain. 
Therefore, the SBC will need to go on repenting until Christ comes again. Mola's comments above are consistent with the definition of critical race theory, which identifies the power structures in American society that oppress and marginalize people of color as based on white privilege and white supremacy. In December 2018, more than 20 years after the historic 1995 resolution on racism, in which the Southern Baptist Seminary publicly repented of its racist past, it released a 71-page report on slavery and racism in the history of the seminary. According to Mola, the moral burden of history requires a more direct and far more candid acknowledgement of the legacy of this school in the horrifying realities of American slavery. The founding faculty of this school, all four of them, were deeply involved in slavery and deeply complicit in the defense of slavery. Eventually, the questions come home. How could our founders, James Boyce, John Broadus, Basil Manley, and William Williams, serve as such defenders of biblical truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the confessional convictions of this seminary, and at the same time own human beings as slaves based on an ideology of race, and defend American slavery as an institution. We must repent of our own sins. We cannot repent for the dead. We must, however, offer full lament for a legacy we inherit and a story that is now ours. This report has helped to convince most white Southern Baptists that they are guilty of the sins of racism and white supremacy by virtue of the color of their skin. Because of the stain of racism, the only valid and acceptable response from white people is a life committed to wokeness. That is, a continual acknowledgement of their inherent sinfulness of being white racists and continual repentance. Mola's assertion that the SBC will carry the stain of racism forever till Jesus comes again reveals a flawed understanding of the grace and forgiveness of God. Mola has denied the promise of God for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. And, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. In Louisville, Kentucky, April 2018, David Platt and Ligon Duncan used the T4G platform to confess to the world that they are tainted with the stain of racism. Pastor David Platt was president of the International Mission Board of the SBC for around four years between 2014 and 2018. Platt's sermon, based on Amos 5, let justice roll down like waters, racism and our need for repentance, calls for repentance from racist sin within the church. 
and exhorts Christians to pursue multi-ethnic communities of faith, Platt opened his sermon by confessing, I have failed to act as I ought on the issue of racism. I want to exhort us to look at the reality of racism. And when I use that term, I'm not just referring to the extremes that we often think of. Extremes that help us, particularly those of us who are white, distance ourselves from racism. When I'm using that term, I'm referring to, so here's the definition I'm using. A system could be individual, could be institutional, could be society, societal, a system in which race, and specifically as we're talking tonight, black or white skin color, profoundly affects people's economic, political, and social experiences. Some, maybe many people, especially white people, wonder, aren't we past this? Like, yes, slavery was wrong, but slavery is gone and has been for decades. It matters in our country whether or not one is white or black. We try to convince ourselves it doesn't matter. We think to ourselves, I don't hold prejudice toward black or white people. I'm not racist, so racism is not my problem. But this is where we need to see that racism is our problem. It's all of our problem. We are immersed in it. Have we been or are we now slow to speak and work against racial injustice around us? And I am convinced the answer to that question is a resounding yes. Pastors in America and the churches we lead instead of bridging the racial divide in our country, have historically widened and are currently widening the racial divide in our country. Could it be that as much as we like to think that the church is a force for countering racism, right now the church is actually a force for continuing it? And in this way, I just wonder if instead of looking out there for all the reasons behind racism, we actually need to start by looking in here. In here. We cannot be comfortable as the people of God with a clear white-black divide in our country, and we can't be content with deepening that divide in the church. Because I look at my life in ministry, and in so many ways, my world has been so white. Why have the churches I've been a part of and led in been so white? Why is this conference so white? This is not the kind of distinction from the world God is calling us to. He is calling us to show what show the world what true multi-ethnic community can be. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song of repentance. Platt's understanding of racism in the church is consistent with Albert Moeller's thinking that racism continues to be a big problem in the Southern Baptist Convention. Platt's sermon is not based in biblical truth, but in the ideology of critical race theory of cultural Marxism. 
His basic presupposition is that white Christians are not only immersed in racism, but are actually increasing the racial divide. He exhorts churches to repent of racism and to set up multi-ethnic communities in order to achieve racial reconciliation. But scripture teaches otherwise. All true believers are one in Christ. So there is no racial divide in the true church of God. For black Christians and white Christians are one in Christ. They are reconciled in Christ. Vaudi Barsham, in a sermon from Ephesians 2, explains the true meaning of racial reconciliation. He starts off talking about what the Gentiles didn't have, and we end up talking about what Jews and Gentiles now have because of the cross. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's racial reconciliation. And it's not something you and I have to achieve. It's something you and I have to believe because Christ has already achieved it. It is done. It is real. We are one in Christ. You, you need to be reminded of your union. You need to strengthen your union. But you, you don't need, to need another union. Same thing with racial reconciliation. We are reconciled in Christ. We don't need to achieve racial reconciliation. We just need to walk in the racial reconciliation that Christ achieved at the cross. It's ours. It's real. And I don't need sociology books in order to walk in this reconciliation. I need God's book in order to walk in this reconciliation. Ligon Duncan, Chancellor of the Reformed Theological Seminary, fought back tears as he repented of racial blindness before 12,000 conference goers. His voice broke with emotion as he confessed, it has taken more than three decades for God to bring this blindness off of my heart. The stillness of the crowd during Duncan's heartfelt confession resembled that of the evening before, when Platt called the T4G conference to our need for repentance. It has taken more than three decades for God to bring this blindness off of my heart. <laughs> Forgive me, brothers. Friends, this isn't about some social gospel. No, I think you can worry about in life. Don't ever worry that Lee Duncan really grooves on cultural Marxism, okay? As we have already seen, in June 2019, the Southern Baptist Convention gathered in Birmingham, Alabama, passed a controversial Resolution 9. The original author of Resolution 9, Stephen Feinstein, pastor at Sovereign Way Christian Church 
in Hesperia, California, meant the resolution to be a stinging rebuke of the social justice concepts of critical race theory and intersectionality. Feinstein writes, Like many, I am alarmed at the proliferation of toxic, divisive and satanic rhetoric designed to divide humanity and facilitate constant opposition in our society. Even worse, it has seeped into Bible colleges and some seminaries. I have had parents come to me for advice when their child came home from a conservative Bible college complaining about white privilege. I was present at the Shepherds' Conference when my favorite evangelical leaders appeared to be divided on how to handle this issue. Therefore I determined, after the Shepherds' Conference, that I would propose a resolution denouncing critical race theory and intersectionality. Einstein made the following comments in support of his resolution. Whereas critical race theory and intersectionality are founded upon unbiblical presuppositions descended from Marxist theories and categories and are therefore inherently opposed to the scriptures as the true center of Christian union. Feinstein offered this resolution that the Southern Baptist Convention decry every philosophy or theology including critical race theory and intersectionality as antithetical to the gospel of Jesus Christ since they divide the people of Christ. But the Resolutions Committee, under the leadership of Dr. Curtis Woods, radically amended the original Resolution 9 to fundamentally change its meaning. And so Resolution 9, that was intended to warn the Church of, of the dangers of a godless ideology, had been transformed into a resolution that promoted the cultural Marxist concepts of critical race theory and intersectionality as analytical tools to be used by the Church. It is hard to avoid the shocking conclusion that the Southern Baptist Convention is being infiltrated by the ideology of cultural Marxism that is antithetical to the Christian faith. And this infiltration is happening on Albert Moeller's watch as many thousands of Christians are being deceived into following a worldview that is opposed to the gospel of Christ. Albert Moeller's false theology, guided by critical race theory, is persuading the SBC that it is stained with the sins of racism and white supremacy, and that the stain can only be removed at Christ's second coming. The answer, therefore, is a life of wokeness and continual repentance. But this is a wrong, unbiblical way of thinking. The Southern Baptist Convention needs to denounce the ungodly ideology of critical race theory and understand from God's word that there is no need for Christians to strive for racial reconciliation. For all believers, black and brown and white, are reconciled by the cross of Christ, we are one in Christ. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all 
and through all and in you all.